I'm a businessman. Blood is a big expense. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition my condition was in. I woke up this morning with the sun down, shining in. Him. Oh. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind. On a jagged sky. Okay, you know, you guys aren't privy to all the new <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's what you, uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. Just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sun down, shining in. Hello and welcome back to Saxon Jackson. I'm talking about Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures up 16, NASDAQ Futures up 53. Uh, do we have Professor Wu? Good morning, sir. How are you? Sir. I, I'm good. How are you this morning? All right, Roger, Roger. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so did you pick a bad day to quit glue sniffing? No, I, I, um, I, I was just looking at the the news reports out of uh, Israel and uh, Gaza. Obviously, uh, as I said in that email that I sent out uh, earlier in the week, you know, this is just one more marker for. You know, a word of caution for any any president who comes into into office that you may you may have your domestic agenda and you may have your plan for fixing the economy and doing all your stuff here at home, but and and maybe a plan for foreign policy. But you know, we are we are subject like everybody else. We are subject to the whims of the the dumbest people on the planet at any given time and. Uh, that that's what that's what's rolling out there now. I, I I specifically wanted to to just talk a little bit about um what this thing that Hamas did was designed to accomplish. Yeah, I, what, I can't figure that out. Yeah. So so this you know I'm I'm a I'm a a Klaus Witzian. I I'm a, a what in God's of, name is that? Oh, it means I'm a I'm a student of Karl von Clausewitz. Right. The, the German military uh, scholar and f tactician who wrote, you know, on war, the, the sort of the, the Bible for for most of us who who came out of uh, out of service academies on on conflict and, and how these things get started and and how to prosecute them. And of course, you know, the basic the basic Clausewitz theorem is that war is a continuation of politics by by other means. So. I, I firmly believe that, and there, there is a political objective to what Hamas was doing. But when you start deliberately mutilating the bodies of children as part of your combat operation, uh, when you you put unrestrained people 
into your into your combat force to commit atrocities and that that's what these are these are atrocities um, committed by committed by an irregular force you know guys not in uniform um, who, who are not subject to any particular command or control structure that we can tell um, when you put this stuff in play um, you 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 step back because because you know chopping the heads off infants and children and Lou, where do you find where do you find people I guess oh, I don't, two, I have two I don't questions have I have two questions one is is Hamas horrified at what happened or do they no. actively find people that said oh by the way chop the head off how, how would you even go about recruiting a group like that oh it's it's there to see this is this is what you you I mean you and I don't don't really understand the mentality that says let's go do this but in that environment it it's not hard to find people who look at Jews particularly as a subhuman as the source of all problems the source of all frustrations the source of of you know every unfair thing life has done to you and um, and then you, you let that fester in a in a religious uh, stew that that makes killing Jews part of your of your your culture I, I guess and uh, and and it's easy it's easy to do I mean, I mean in terms of finding those people the point is when Hamas does that you you look around and go okay guys you you've done something I mean they're not they're not stupid they they obviously know that these things are going to drive any thinking person in the West into into revulsion and you know basically remove any kind of political yeah, support. Yeah, but you can't. You can't. West. I don't. I don't think you can go down the road where I hope the Israelis do. You can't go down the road that every single person over in the in Gaza had nothing to do with this. Now all of a sudden well, needs to have the same treatment. Okay, so so let's let's back up a second. Hamas. I want to stay on, on point on this. I think the re, the the goal that. The, the goal to to me in in doing something like this is to provoke an overreaction by the Israelis. I would say you're correct. <laughs> to provoke a, a commitment of force and troops to that particular region that that you know scummy little whatever it is four four mile by two mile uh, whatever section of of uh, territory such that they have to. They have to put a lot of forces in, and it's going to be very costly for them to go in and clean that area out. But that is what they're going to have to do because of the horror of what Hamas did. And, and okay, so then you start thinking, who benefits from doing that? Well, the, the immediate beneficiary, and, and I think the likely beneficiary, is Iran. Because when those forces are split like that, you now have the uh, Israelis who who are going to have to do this they they will they will sink in the eyes of their Saudi and uh, and Jordanian uh, neighbors who who were moving towards some kind of rapprochement with, with you think Israel. it's going you think it's going to torpedo it or just sink it, delay I, it? I think I, I don't think it matters I think it just the goal was to make it so difficult for for the populations the fundamentalists uh, populations of those of those places to to uh, accept it 
that that the kingdoms will will not be able to will not be able to move forward to any kind of meaningful rapprochement for for well, some. Well, can't time. expect the Israelis to do nothing. Well, but but it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I get it. Uh, you're not. It doesn't matter. So you you provoke this reaction. The other thing that benefits Iran directly is the potential for a multi-front war. And you know, if Hezbollah in in Lebanon looks around and says, okay, we don't have to face an Israeli army of you know full full power now that what we're looking at on, on the north is mostly conscripts mostly reservists who haven't trained regularly well well we train all the time haven't trained regularly and so if they want to open now, when up you say they team, train all the time who supplies and pays those guys the iranians this is chief this is why that six billion dollars in relief is being pointed at except that the money's a, as, the money hasn't been used yet but it doesn't matter it, it, it matters money, some. No, it doesn't. You've got the money. You've got the money in your in your account. It can, it can, you can be torpedoed right money. now. It can't. It's both allegedly cannot be moved unless uh, we approve the of sale for humanitarian reasons. So none of it's Tom, left the account. Tom, Tom the, the Iranians themselves said that they can move. They'll use that well, money but, for. What? But they haven't yet. And, and and it does. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. They have it in their bank account. That's six billion that can be freed up. But but regardless of that. We have lifted the sanctions on Iran that were in place. We have allowed them to sell the, their oil. They are they are pumping that stuff out. They are making lots of money off it. We haven't we haven't cranked down on them. Do you the think if they were selling it before we we said they could? I bet they were. Well, I'm I, I, we were damaging their economy under the previous administration big time, and we lifted those sanctions. A lot of those sanctions because this particular administration, much like the the Obama people, is in love with Iran for some reason. We have allowed Iranian agents into the government. It's at very high levels into our government at very high levels to to make the case for for helping Iran and and limiting our our support of Israel. Iran benefits directly from this and they have they have much more access to, to revenue than they did four years ago. So they have they have been funding money into Hezbollah. So if you're Hezbollah, you say to yourself, okay, now if I if I need if I want to conduct a two front war, if my Iranian paymasters say you can go in and kill as many Israelis, as many Jews as you want to, just like your buddies down in Gaza, um, and now I'm not looking at the kind of Israeli uh, force that I was looking at with respect to, you know, uh, two weeks ago. You know, I've got a I've got a different force in front of me. They're not as well trained. It's mostly reservists, and you know, Israel's not stupid. They know this. That that's why they called up 360,000 people, and they have moved them. Uh, you know, they've divided their forces. They've got a group at, at Gaza, but it's going to be a horrific slog going through that town if, in fact, they have to clear it building by building. And and uh, they're going to be tied up on that and that, that end of the country. And at the same time, they are facing a very significant threat. I don't, I don't, I don't think we were ever capable, uh, and maybe, you know, I, I, don't, I refuse to believe this is denominational. Somehow the Democrats love Iran. Why would anybody here love Iran? I mean, I can't. I, I can't go. What, what I, I, I know. I know you don't. I know you don't understand it. But if you look at, if you look at what we've done, in terms of our negotiating stance, in terms of the unilateral agreement that that the Obama people made just before he left, he left office. You know, this was a. This, again, we're dealing with ideologues, who who have a particular worldview, and and when the world doesn't 
doesn't conform to their desire or their 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 plan they double down but we, but we on, still on we we had all kinds of issues with the russians we thought we were going to kiss our ass goodbye in 62 lou still we had salt one and salt true we, we still have talked to people we don't like before this is not a question of talking to people this is a question of facilitating uh things like iran's nuclear capability well and giving somebody it, the, the money the money that you sequestered from them is their dough the thing I, I, I don't. Well, I know. I, I know you feel. I know you feel that. I don't know. No, I don't. I don't. That, I, I don't. that money. You're entitled to it. No, I. I, 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 oh, I never. No. I never said that. I never said that. I. I understand why we did. What we did when Iran, and they're sure as hell not my favorite place. I mean, don't get me on that side. But I think that when 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 the news comes out, the 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 right, if you if you went down the street and asked everybody on the right, they are convinced that that money came out of our taxes. I don't. I, I understand that, but that's yeah, not. But that's not right. At least if, if you and I are having a discussion, we both know where the money came from. That's right. That's but I mean, right. But I'm that saying that the people that I, I listen to on Fox and these other stations that I'm forced to, and sometimes they they're not telling anybody that. We we just gave them your dough is is the message, and that's not, uh, and that's wrong. I, I'm, I I I don't think I don't think anybody who follows this issue with any focus believes that that's U.S. No, nobody term. follows any of these issues, with, but that doesn't stop from having opinions. I'm just, I'm just saying this. We have facilitated Iran's access to money that that was not there four years ago. We have facilitated it. We have assisted in funding it. We assisted in funding Hamas. We lifted the 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 payments and the payment embargo on, okay, on let me, Hamas uh, in I, the Palestinians. Let's, let's that was back in just place a second. Of the administration, and that also translated directly into this action. By the way, you may you may not think so, but I listen to you quite a bit, and have learned from you. Why we seem to have oh, vice, vice versa too. But we seem to have in, in this country, and I'm and I, I guess I'm one of them. Less of one now that I've listened to you. The the idea that our people here think that because of force of their personality and their view of the world can somehow change these people is not a Republican situation. Trump's the idiot that stood there on, 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 the, on the same stage as the guy from North Korea thinking he was going to change him. Tom, Ronald Reagan with the, the cake going to, going to the mullahs, Ronald Reagan thought that he could change them. Yeah. Jimmy Carter thought that he could change them and deal with them. They are not... One of the things that, that you know comes out of this horrific event from from the from my perspective anyway is that you know when people tell you who they are and and these folks and when i say these folks the anti-israel mentality of the anti-israel focus in in parts of the middle east and iran is part of that hezbollah hamas the and significant portions of the populations in in the arab world um, when these people tell you who they are, you should believe them. Well, other than maybe during the Roman Empire, when has the Middle East ever been quote at peace? I don't. I don't know about being at peace. They were. They were generally at peace during the Ottoman Empire. Okay, after being you know, the Ottomans, the Ottomans, the Ottomans controlled that area for hundreds of years. Why? I mean, you, one thing that you have. Uh, they were. Gener- they were generally. They were I don't know. If controlled is the right. The Brits, yeah. They were generally at peace until the Brits came in. Okay. Well, the the. This all comes down to two different groups, and it, it's still the, I won't accuse him of being the, the uh, creator of it, but the Milton Friedman view of the world was if you can somehow get people more economically free, their political 
whims would go that way. And, I, and there are people in this country, since we have, I mean, I, I've known many people from Iran, God's sake, Lou, they're, they're like, they're, they're as secular and as U.S. as they come. I know. But, but, oh, but, I know. So the, the, the thought is, and I don't know what the thought is, but the, I, I, I seem to think that 95% of the people in Iran would be real happy if these guys were gone. Same way in North Korea, same way. And, and the thought is, from economists on down, and again, they've been wrong. You've been right. They've been wrong. That somehow or other, if we can just change the tone of hair and show them what the, other, what the good life is and here, if you want to call it the good life now, um, somehow or another, they would become more like us. I mean, we thought Mexican factories would all of a sudden start paying people more money and it would become like us, that they would have unions or they would have the workers would have power I'm not saying necessarily unions but you know it never seems to happen when I, and do we stop trying or what do we do I mean well, I, 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 don't, I don't know how to deal with Iran if, I, if you put me in that spot even with you as my soldier what exactly would we do tomorrow about these people we just, we just keep right. putting a thumb on them for 200 years and hope that they that whatever I, well, okay, I don't know so, the, I don't know so, what the story is so the Israelis the Israelis operated under the, under the for, since they they left Gaza and turned it over to the Palestinians in what was it, 2005. And remember, the Israelis did that by forcing something like 24 or 25,000 of their own citizens at gunpoint out of Gaza. They had settled, they had settled a significant portion of that area. They forced out 25,000 of well, their they, people. Well, they took other people's property, Lou. No, they didn't. They, well, the Israelis, yeah, the Israelis yeah. Took, took the property of their own people. Well, but, but, they, but how did they get it in the first place? It was way bigger than than, than the property was given to them by the UN. Well, but but okay, so so we're not we're not this this is a red herring. I think a red herring. Sure it is. The Israelis come in; they are given a state of Israel by the United Nations under international law. Yeah, okay. and, they, and they, but they said was, they forgot the part about there were other people living there. Well, okay, there was no country there. When that happened, when the, when the UN did that, the UN also said, okay, here's the area we're going to give for Israel, and here's the area for the Palestinians and the people who, who are in the Israeli state. And it sucks, but there are no good solutions here. We have six, you know, whatever it is, four or five million displaced Jews who have gone through the most unimaginable horror. Oh, yeah. Going, they want a homeland. This traditionally has been their, quote, homeland. We're going to put them there. It's going to be international law, and we're going to give the, the other people who, who, you know, live in that area, if they don't want to live under, you know, with the Jews, they can live in this, this area. And so they, they set up the, the, the pal, quote, Palestinian state, and they set up the Israeli state. And that was a matter of international law, and they did it, they did it because they could. Every single Arab country and the Palestinians themselves rejected the offer of a state and of that area. And what instead they attacked Israel. Right, they all right. attacked Israel because they thought we can we're operating under a religious mandate, you know, uh, Muhammad Muhammad says, you know, kill the Jew. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and we and we can I mean that. That's it's, that a, it's, that's a religion, it's a religion that doesn't mind a little hadiths. violence. It's one of the, the it's very, it's very secular sort of religion in Islam. So, so kill, kill the Jew. We're all gonna, we're all gonna, they will wipe these guys out. The problem was that that the Jews were turned out to be pretty good, pretty good fighters. They held on, and they took they took some territory. 
they well, the held first amount of territory they got was totally undefensible. It was. But they secured their borders and they held them. And then in 1967, the Arabs effectively attacked again. They blockaded the state. They committed an act of war. They blockaded the Gulf of Aqaba. They tried to blockade Israel and basically shut it down. This was this was Egypt's idea. And and the Israelis launched the six day war. They 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 were faced with an act of war and they responded. And this time they took a bunch of territory. They expanded the West Bank and they took they took expanded their borders to be be defensible and they held them. But then in seventy three Egyptians attack again along with with Syria and, uh, and well, Lebanon wasn't in the middle of it but Syria was they attack again and this time the Israelis take the entire Sinai Peninsula they take it all the way to the Suez Canal and and they get they clear everybody out and which is pretty horrible property anyway but still they well and they basically tell the Egyptians okay this you know, we got all this and they take Jerusalem and they clear everybody out of that I'm getting my timeline wrong. I think they had the Sinai before that, but anyway, they clear all that out, and and basically they they start to invade Egypt. We sh- we shut that down. We stop the Israelis from driving all the way to Cairo and, and and flattening the place, and and driving all the way into Syria and, and Damascus and flattening that place. We stop that, and then in in. Um, what is it, 77, Carter negotiates, or 78, Carter negotiates the, the peace accords, and uh, Egypt Egypt signs the agreement, the, the Israelis withdraw back back to the 73 border, Egypt gets the Sinai back, and and that pretty much is where the borders have the borders They've pretty stayed. much hung there since then, yeah. Yeah, so, so, you know, this has not been, this has not been anything under the then the typical pattern of war, conquest, you know, revision, peace treaties, but but Israel is not on stolen land, they, at least not on the concept of legally, uh, concept of stolen. They were granted that property. They they got the rest of it in response to acts of war that were committed against them, and they held on to it. Um, it it it's it's no more it's no more stolen than saying that East Germany. You know, occupied by Russia was stolen. You know, it it it's it's ridiculous. Well, it's, it's ridiculous. Well, I think it kind of was stolen, argument. but that's another story. But yeah, it's a ridiculous argument. This is this is. I mean, this well, is I mean, we, it's like saying argument. we stole the West. I mean, yeah, it's well. I mean, even there's even less value to that argument because nobody really had the West. But but well, in, when, in whenever any, there's people there, they think they have it. <laughs> well, they're they're living on it, but, but yeah. you know, they, they didn't they didn't possess it. And, and I mean, the, the, in any event, the, the the point is, the system is, the, the circumstances are what they are. The Palestinians, who I I told somebody, you know, I don't remember who I'm quoting. I may have, I may have been quoting Don Imus, but but I, the Palestinians, as a as a political entity are a group that never misses an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Well, no doubt. I mean, yes, Rafid could have. I mean. Yeah. Uh, and but they, the, they, they, uh, we, so, as you so, know, we commit right. things the point from, of all uh, this, to go back to the original point. The political benefit of this, I think, is aimed at benefiting Iran. They're the oh, only I, people that really come out of this on top. What are and the? So, I mean, what's 
let me ask a question. Let's talk more about Iran after the break, because I'm real curious as to what exactly is going on there. I mean, uh, they're doing an awful lot of nasty stuff for a place that controls like the, the five percent of the population likes. I mean, it's a uh, they're, they're like North Korea for God's sake, only only better at it. You uh, are you are looking again, very much like China, uh, and, and and to a certain extent like Russia. Uh, they are looking at themselves in a historical perspective that we find uh, uh, unimaginable. They are looking at the Persian Empire, you know, back to whoever it was, Xerxes or whatever the hell it was, and saying we should be back there again. We should well, and we control. also look at everybody through our, our rose-tinted glasses as well. We're supposed to have, you know, you probably know an addendum to this, what, the, the, the four or five people that had Atomic bombs, atomic weapons, essentially said nobody else can have them but us. Oh, I know. Yet if you're in Iran, everybody around you's got them. Not that if, they should have them. I don't want them to have them. Believe if me. If you're but. if you're if you're Iranian, I mean this this as I said, this is part this is part of a worldview that we don't understand because we are in the driver's seat and we have been for a while, and so to us the world looks like this is the way it's supposed to be, but but to the to the Persians to the Chinese, to the Russians. You know, they used to be empires all by themselves. And it doesn't look that way. It doesn't look like the United States should be. Well, I don't... Yeah, I don't... Should be the top dog my, uh, or Western my, my, cons- top dog. my concern regarding the is, um, Israelis and the politics is I don't have a problem with any of the stuff you, you just said. I mean, it's... To me, that's... that's fine. They, they were... Spectacular in defending the stuff that was given to them by the United Nations. Well, the United Nations ever did hard to really do that. Well, it's like you said, it's water way under the dam. Uh, but the fact is, they were able to defend themselves. And some of the areas, even now, some of the defensible areas are what, like 10 miles wide or something? I mean, it's still, it's not like the U.S. where you got an ocean on each side of you, right? I mean, it's, I mean, we're worried no. about people crawling across the border because they want to live here, not with guns. Uh, and, which is bad enough, but but it's not like we're being invaded. I mean, what if we're being invaded? For God's sake, we've never had that happen. But I, my, I still think, Lou, you, you can't have. I read this um, piece of paper, uh, a few pieces of paper stapled together, where a guy was defining kind of a terrorism a little bit and a, and a terrorist mindset. And I'm not, I'm not about to say you should be lopping people's heads off, but he's, but you can have people in the Baca Valley, you can have people in Gaza, you can have people living there, and you go on and do other stuff. I mean, you know, you've got you've got kids at a peace rally in Israel, which, which you should be able to do without getting killed, by the way. Uh, you've got all these kinds of things happening, and, and you and I may go on and get married and have kids and have grandkids, and we forget all about, hey, there's people still sitting over there and <laughs> underneath those tents in the Baca Valley. The point being, that's all they think about. Even though you and I and the rest of the world, I mean, it's been 25% unemployment rate in males in Gaza for as long as you and I have been uh, talking. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Somehow and, and, or another, these things have to get fixed at some time, or all they do but, is fester. But the Israelis, the Israelis say to themselves, we've tried to fix it. Okay. We've tried, we've tried to help. We, we all, this is a group that is not motivated by unemployment or financial security or the well-being of its people. They are motivated by one thing, kill Jews well, if, and eliminate Israel. Okay, but and if you that had, is their raison d'etre. If you, had a, if you had a job, you'd think less about it. Mm. No, I, you're, you're wrong there. And, and I, this, is, this is the message. 
this is the message of this horrific incident and it's the message of any number of horrific incidents that have been occurring. Mike was on the other day, and I'm I'm not going to contrast him with what you're saying, but he was on the other day saying that Hamas has been able to recruit out of their young males because they're available. I I categorically disagree. I think I think that we we are looking at this from the idea that that you know all we all these people need are jobs and a life and this would this would change everything. It will well, not. This, well, let's, let's go to break. But look what's happening here. Everybody here has a job and a family and things. It'll maybe two jobs. Look at the stuff we put up with because we have well, other stuff to do. It, it, exactly. And and uh, and I mean we I. I we can get into a separate discussion yeah. about our urban culture. What's good? Why don't we go to break first? SP futures up 15, NASDAQ futures up 52. War is good, evidently, because the Fed would have to put money in. That's all we, all we think about. We'll be right back, Stacks and Jacks. Like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing glue. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. Well, welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures up 15. NASDAQ Futures up 49. Uh, IRS says Microsoft owns another $29 billion in back taxes for all the years they were messing around overseas and they said this uh, adjudication of this is going to take years and years okay so if it turns out that they do owe it and they cheated and transfer pricing and stuff how about some criminal charges and how about like triple damages and stuff just just saying just saying uh, Dow futures up 114 individual stacks in the Dow uh, Amgen up 260 we've got uh, Chevron Texaco up 230 I'm going to bet uh, well, it's going to be up. Exxon was down a bunch yesterday because they were going to pay $60 billion for Pioneer or somebody. Their, their stock was down pretty heavy, but it'll probably be back up today. Uh, Asia, uh, Nikkei up fi- 5.55. It's 1.7%. Hang Seng up 3.45. Blasting through 18,000 to the upside. 18,238. Shanghai up 28. That's a full 1%. 3109. War is just spectacular, isn't it? Over in Europe, uh, DAX up 83, that's 0.5%, FTSE up 56.7, CAC around up 31.4, because the money will be flowing again. Yesterday, Dow was up 65, S&P up 18, NASDAQ up 96. Uh, Bonds, down three basis points, 4.56, not a chance now of getting to 5% on the 10-year. The Bund up one basis point, 2.72, Japan down 2.75. We've got oil. 
up a buck five, but still 86 to 87. I mean, still below the 93 or so it was a couple weeks ago. So even though we've rallied on the, the war news, we're maybe only halfway back to where it was, uh, like I said, 10, 15 days ago. Natural gas down seven cents, 330. Our Bob unchanged, 221. We've got gold up 760, 1894, threatening now to go back through 1900. Silver up 17 cents, 2231. Copper up a penny, 362. And we have uh, Bitcoin up 23 bucks. Very, it's been very muted during this whole thing. 26,758. We have the US dollar, which has been kind of steady the last couple days. Steady again today. Euro at 106 and the pound at 123. Greg, what do you got for traffic, weather, sports? Our new star scored his first goal last night, eh? Hey. Hey, hey Hoser, eh? Hey. It was, uh, it was incredible. Anyways, let's see. 54 degrees here in Chicago right now. Probably about 59 today. 71 today in Phoenix. Uh, or 71 now, 90 in Phoenix. Uh, eventually. Kennedy, Montrose, the interchange, 22 minutes. Lake Cook is 47 minutes in. Wolf to the interchange on the Eisenhower is 30 minutes. The Ryan locals to the interchange 19 minutes, and the Stevenson 294 to the Ryan is 29 minutes. NFL we have Denver at KC tonight 7:15. MLB the Phillies beat the Braves at home that was 10 to 2. Phillies up 2-1. Astros beat the Twins 3 to 2. That series is over. That was over. 3 to 1. They get the Rangers on Sunday, and the Diamondbacks win at the Dodgers. At Dodgers, four to two. That's all. That series also over. That was three to zero. They get the winner of the Braves Phillies next week. Also, Connor Bedard scores his first goal. Blackhawks lose. <laughs> yeah. Well, Boston's got a good team. <laughs> Anyways, it was a good game for the first period. That's all I got, Chief. Back to you, um, Lou. When the uh, Diamondbacks were whipping up on the Cubs first down there and then up here, uh, and everybody was doing. The, I was sort of a a voice in the wilderness like I usually am saying, you know, Cubs are down their closer and they've got a couple of other people hurt and maybe they're a piece or two away, but it might not just be all the Cubs. This Arizona team looks like really, really good to me. Very fast, very young, and everybody was giving me no end of grief like they always do. Once in a while I can be right, though. Now these guys have swept the Brewers and they swept the Dodgers. They are good. They are real good. Just saying. Yeah, and uh, I'm... I'm sort of uh, surprised that uh, Baltimore exited as quickly as uh, as they did to a team that I think you know had a an, like a, an 11 game there's a 22 game difference in terms of one loss records. But um, you know, Baltimore had a had a fantastic season in the regular season, and they get they get clobbered by a club that you know they did did not perform nearly as well during the during the regular season. So. In baseball, apparently the debate now rages about why are we playing the regular season when you can you can have a, a mediocre season and then get into a situation where you can you can beat a team that performed much you know much more successfully than than you did and I I guess the short answer is I don't I don't know I mean, I mean just the, are they trying to minimize the impact of the uh, of the regular season with the number of playoffs? Well, I mean, games it's, it, it, same thing happens in, in football. Lou. You can have a team that well, has sure. five or six it's guys hurt, and all football. of a sudden they come back. At the end of the right. year, they're all ready for the playoffs. Meanwhile, the team that has been terrific all year has a couple of nagging injuries the last week, and that that that, that game blows up too. Well, yeah, and it's even worse in football because uh, it's one game. You yeah, know? I mean, you got you got one shot to do this, and if you don't, if you're not on top of your 
your game if your if your star player gets wrecked you're uh, you're done I, yeah i i don't i'm not i'm not part of that debate i mean baseball expanded its its playoffs dramatically to uh to increase revenue and and get those you know get get more people into the into the postseason i understand that it it makes financial sense but but the the flip side of that is you're letting in teams that aren't did not do nearly as well in the regular season but who may hit a hot streak and and so so now there's i mean they were there was an actual proposal uh, and it apparently being taken seriously by mlb that um if you if you have a, a great record if you win your division or you're in the top three in terms of one lost in your uh, you know in your league that you get a one game advantage a one game head start like you're already credited well, they're already giving them they're already giving them the three home games yeah I know I know I, I'm just saying this is this is part of the you know this is part of the um, part of the, the discussion which again I don't I don't understand I'm not a I'm not a baseball guy. It seems to me if you want to expand the playoffs, expand the playoffs. More people I, are in favor of that. I think that uh, the rank and file, meaning the fans of today's world, uh, the rank and file needs to understand maybe most people now have never played a sport. There's a huge difference, Lou, between a, a marathon, which would be a season, football surely getting there now, and a short series. There's a massive cha- difference. And one is done for for TV and for money, and one is, in the immortal words of Wilford Brimley in The Natural, I didn't give a crap about the World Series. And though, when I was young watching baseball, to win a pennant was a big deal. Yes. It was, you know, whether there were eight teams or ten teams in the division, to win a pennant was a massive deal. And then there was this almost an exhibition game, for lack of a better term, an exhibition tournament for the fans at the end of the year. Where, where the, even if you lost the World Series, you were a pennant winner. You were, you were a. It was a big deal. Right. What's the? Um, I can't remember the name or the what what game it is, but it involved the old the Dodgers when they were still in Brooklyn. And uh, you hear some guys. They they. It, it may be the Bobby. What's his face? Home oh, run. Bobby. Uh, no one. What the hell was his name? Bobby Thompson. Bobby Thompson. Yeah. There you go. You know the Dodgers. You hear the announcer screaming. The Dodgers win the pennant. The Dodgers win the pennant. It was pennant. Vince Scully, wasn't it? Yeah. Pardon me. It was Vince Scully, wasn't it? I don't. I don't know. I don't. I think he was there. That long ago, he was, was, ago? I, I was, he was there. He was. He was there when he he was doing games and he was ninety or something. Mm. Wasn't he? Okay. You know what, Greg? Look that up. When did when did Vince Scully start start doing the Dodger? He was in. I know he was in Brooklyn. I think. I, I don't know. I think he was in Brooklyn. Why don't you check and see if, if you don't mind, Greg? Uh, anyway, that, anyway, that to go. But it was a big deal. Up. Now it's yes. not. It's it's all about. And we're going to get that way with college football. There's going to be why even play the season. There's going to be 32 teams in some playoffs someday because that's what TV wants. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and so, so started in 1950. That was before they left Brooklyn. Yeah, it was definitely. And and the uh, the shot heard around the world was uh, 1959. Yeah, I think. Anyway, the the um, the 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 point you're making and and discussing. Yeah, you've got you've got a. A darn good. That's a darn good baseball team down there, and more importantly, that's a hot baseball team down there. Yeah, they're playing well. Everything's working. I, I mean, I, again, I, I, I would tell people that were upset at you know these these teams that are coming in from you know wild cards or whatever. I, I would just say you have the same problem in any sport. I mean, hockey. 
if your goalie gets hot, if you're a you're a Midland playoff team and your goalie gets hot, you you can go all the way oh, yeah. through the Stanley Cup. What's because a, that player little, can make make that kind of a difference. Well, the difference I mean, you've played a lot of sports. What is the difference? I, I put those two teams, and I, again, I don't watch them that much because one's in the American League and one's. But the, the difference between the Baltimore and the Diamondbacks, where they're both very young, very fast, very talented teams. Maybe the Diamondbacks have a hair better pitching. I don't know, but it's everybody. My guys, you know, the people I hang with, they they love sports too. And their their view of the of the of uh, the Orioles right out of the gate was these young guys are playing tight, and and they because they you know they expected to do so good and blah blah blah. Yet the the Diamondbacks clearly are not playing tight. I mean they're just they're just playing. How do you how is if you're a manager or a general I mean, general manager can't do much. If you're a manager, is there anything about that you can do, or is it the leadership on the team, or just the momentum you gain and the confidence you gain by winning game one, or what? Is there anything you can do about it, I guess? I mean, I, I've been in a lot of playoff situations in softball, and, and sometimes we go into it, and, and um, you know, me being the pitcher and the manager, I mean, I was part of the psychology. Sometimes if I knew guys on the other team were ringers, I wouldn't even tell my team. Because they, they were too they – they I wouldn't say they were too dumb. They, didn't, they weren't – I didn't, I didn't want to tell them that we had, they had two other guys on the other team and we had a real challenge. Of course, you can't ring in Major League Baseball. Uh, I, I, mean, I mean, there's a whole industry around – that grows up around sports psychology, grown up around sports psychology, and how you think about um, uh, what what you're doing, and of course the whole idea of not thinking about what you're doing. The the, um, the playing tight, I, I would say, playing tight is a euphemism for being too much um, processing, too much, uh, and and trying to trying to analyze what you're doing, what you're doing wrong, rather than allowing yourself to exist, and this is going to sound crazy, but to exist in the moment and to let the moment, you know, determine how you're doing things and what you're doing things. You know, that, if you ever read um, Zen and the Art of Archery, which I thought is... I was Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Well, well that's what, that's what that book was based, you know, he was he was paraphrasing or taking... Taking a, a, a title. By the way, Lou, our, our buddy Kevin was always right with this stuff. Since the Giants won, it wasn't the Dodger announcer; it was the Giant announcer. It wasn't Vince Scully. He's, he's right oh, about that. Okay, duh. Okay. And he also he also said that when you when you have an ace pitcher like Kershaw and he and he messes up game one when the guy dropped the fly ball, now you're behind the eight ball. Which he's right about that too. Yeah. So so anyway, the the there's a whole. Era, group of sports psychologists now and, and, and a lot of pro athletes consult these guys, a lot of teams have them on their staffs, who, who basically work on getting the player to to exist in the moment, not to overanalyze not to not to fret about about mistakes but to move on to the next you know, to the next play um, I, again, I, I've said this on the show before, my, my one of my all-time favorite uh players uh mick mick tinglehoff who wasn't he's a hall of fame center that played for my dad had a a bumper sticker over his locker and it said humility is only a play away yeah (laughs) and and you know the idea that the idea that no matter what just happened on the field you have to step right back up again for the next play for the next the next series the, the, the next pitch because if you don't, if you're thinking about what happened behind you or, or what just happened, you're, you're going to lose track of what's going on in the moment. So 
sports psychologists would would tell you i think that a team that is that is tight that's playing tight is a team that's thinking as collectively you know too much about what just happened and why you know how can we how can we correct that and and this is you know this is also related to the whole concept of the you know the big mo momentum and and you and i have both been in stadiums watching live sporting events where you almost can feel the momentum move oh, from yeah. one side you know one team over to the other team and and you just watch you know you just watch one team suddenly become become dominant and and i think i think that's a function again of success obviously but but the success causes those guys to stop thinking about you know oh my god we're losing or oh my god i got to do this or whatever and just and just playing in the moment one of the great um lines mike shashevsky at duke is credited with is is they were losing to maryland in in the i either the semis or the finals in uh, in the nc2a tournament and they were down by 22 points in the first half and shashevsky calls a timeout and he gets everybody to the bench and he said i want we're not we're not going to run any more plays <laughs> i want you to just go out and play basketball okay and and somebody said well you know we can't we're going to abandon our offense and he said something to the effect of we we can't do any worse yeah <laughs> okay than we're doing right now forget about the offense go out and just play basketball because he he knew that they were thinking too much about what they were supposed to be running rather than just flowing into the game and you know they turned around they turned around they beat i mean I, I I have I have a hard spot in my heart for Maryland because when I was at Duke, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> the, ter- the Terrapins were coached by a guy named Lefty Drizel, and they they the, I couldn't stand that guy. The teams hated each other. Yeah. Um. But but uh, you know he he just he basically lifted lifted that that grid that they had imposed upon themselves of oh, I'm supposed to be doing this and now I'm supposed to be doing this and now I'm supposed to be doing this. He lifted that off them and said just play it's a game just play and and you know they they turned it around and again you, you can, can see you, that, that you can sense swing. sometimes you can sense the the, uh, the mentality of the other team when we played the uh, uh, ESPN was always a big ringer in the in the radio league right and we had a good team and uh but they always rang then they beat us two years in a row so finally this one year we beat WLS in the semis, and we had to go play the other guys. And I noticed the other day had a couple of guys I hadn't seen before. And immediately, you know, this is Chicago softball, right? So we, if you can, you do that. We never did because you know our people were played on a team, and we're not, I'm going to get somebody else to sit my brother or myself. So I got this big lefty, and I knew the guy was good. So of course, pitch one. I'm not about to walk him. He hits one, Lou. I think it. I think it went by the shuttle. <laughs> the ball went so far. I mean, I'm sitting there going, well, that's a problem, this guy. <laughs> so they get ahead of us. We come back, get some runs. And uh, Dr. J made a nice play at short, and we got one of our guys hit a home run. All of a sudden, we're right with him. And then we kind of creep ahead as this guy hits one. I held him to a double the next time. And then he got somebody's job in center field from their team. It was a good ball player. So one of our guys hits one out there, and he muffs it. So now he, he, he got him one, but now he cost him one, right? So we come back in, and of course, I always keep track of the lineup on the other team as a pitcher, which is one of those things you absolutely have to do as a pitcher in softball. So I get my guys together, and I said, look, 
We're two runs ahead. Let's go get a couple more. I'm not going to walk anybody. The guys we have to face the next innings, they can't hurt us. Let's catch the ball and go to the bar. We walked out, six guys in a row, and we went to the bar. We, we caught it just right in our time, and I said, look, this is our game. They, those guys aren't going to bat again. Let's not worry about it. The guy cost them the game. He didn't win them the game. Let's go play. Sometimes, you know, a little I – don't, I don't think we caught the ball because I said something, and I'm not, I'm not like that. But the point is, the ebb and the flow, guess what? The flow came to us just at the right time. Right. Well, and, and you've, I'm sure, uh, you have been in a, in a sport – um, doing something where all of a sudden everything just sort of came together. Yep. You know, all of your physical moves, the the perception of the ball or, or whatever it is you're working for, uh, you know, that, that you're playing with, um, everything sort of flowed into one place. And for that play or that series of events, you were as good an athlete as you could ever be. And, and I've, I've experienced that. It's one of the fantastic aspects about sports. And um, it, it, you know, it, it's one of the great, I, I, I was, t- was describing to one of our uh, friends who, who uh, she's, you know, she, she's your sort of typical, you know, white collar, very successful white collar woman who, who's, you know, worked through life and, and all that and I was trying to she was asking me what the what the attraction of football was Amer- American football and and you know why why would people put their health on the line and all this you just didn't understand it and I said all I can tell you is that as a young man there is absolutely no greater thrill than running down or running down the field at full speed in in full you know physical shape knowing you're in great shape and your body's working the way it's supposed to, and you run down the field and you knock somebody down. That is the greatest feeling in the world. <laughs> I, was, just, I always thought hitting a home run was, but that, that well, was me. It, but she just she just looked at me and she said, "I don't I don't get it." And and I, I said, never, never, she's not gonna get it. I said, "I said I wouldn't expect you to." Number one, you're not a guy, and 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 number two, I don't know if you've ever trained. I'll tell you, you what, know, watch some of his girls' uh, hockey. Some of them get it. Oh yeah, they're pretty oh, rough. Yeah. No, it's 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 a it's a great feeling, but but yeah, it it's a that kind of that kind of dominance. I I wanted before we. Hey, before wait, I got we, a question question for you, a, a real serious right. one. We've bandied back and forth about uh, my economic attitude, and I, I I do think Lou that you have to be mindful of every of any place that is economically uh, deprived because it's going to end up being a. You can't always fix it. As a matter of fact, most times you probably can't fix it. I mean, the the refugee situation from Venezuela. It's a horrible thing, and maybe we're not handling it properly. Maybe we're, not, but it's not a surprise to me. I mean, how the hell no. can anybody live in Venezuela for God's sake? I mean, it's not. I mean, I don't. I don't know what I, I don't know what I could do about it. But at least people seem stunned. Why are they coming up here? What do you mean? Why are they coming up here? They've been in currency. They haven't had a job in five years. How the hell? Are they, you know, how are they still alive is the question. Yeah. Um, but my, how do you deal? This is we're not going to you're not going to solve this in four minutes, but we seem to have. I'll, I'll, I'll put them all in the same spot, which I probably shouldn't. You've got Iran, you got China, you got North Korea, you got Russia to a certain extent, as you've mentioned earlier. And there's probably a few others I haven't named. Uh, they all have this mindset. They all have these people in power that 90 percent of the population doesn't like. Part of us being Americans say, 
that won't last because it you know it wouldn't have lasted here. It didn't last in, in Britain in the 1200s and whatever. But they're not us. They're not Britain. Uh, what what is the policy? You, we can't put them all in in, in detention. Um, you know, I mean, what what is the policy? I, I honestly don't know. I mean, uh, by the way, I have one quick question for you. You know, you know what the word nesting means when it comes to uh, employment? I was thinking about you last night. Talk about totally off topic. Um, I'm I'm not. I mean, I can think of several options, but no, I don't. I don't are, not in the context. One of the judges, where I was out with these all these judge guys last night, and he was saying he was he did a case where they were trying to fire this lady because she once in a while dozed off at work. Even, and she was staring at screens, you know, watching like all the stuff in the jail or whatever. And we ended up not firing her because the defense side was, if you just doze off, and then you snap back two minutes later, that's kind of normal, especially if you got some job where you're just staring at something. As long as you're not nesting. And I go, what in God's name is nesting? Well, if, if you bring a pillow, <laughs> you bring your Doritos and a blanket, oh, yeah, you, or you you're, you're planning on sleeping, that's yeah. a whole different story. And I, I, I never heard that term before. I, figured, I bet Lou knows this term. Um, I, I'm familiar with the concept, but I don't I don't refer to it as, as nesting. Nesting, in, in my employment context, means an employee who settles into a job and basically stays there. Oh, okay. Doesn't want to get promoted. Doesn't you know? Does just enough that they don't get fired, but they just they stay in one position and they occupy it, and and that's their that's their deal. All right. So we don't want we don't want Trump standing on the same stage with the knucklehead from North Korea. We don't want to free up money that's that these guys are going to use nefariously in Iran. But to me, that this is this is a really hard one when you're talking about big chunks of the world, and and then you've got our, our allies from India, for instance, who the guy was just here with glad hand and everybody. He's buying all the oil from Iran, right, and Russia. So I mean, yes. uh, it's it's not exactly the world's best situation, and, and the, the, the 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 obvious move is not so obvious to me. I, I don't, I wouldn't know what to do, Lou, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I, it, a lot of it is driven by is driven by worldview. So if you're, which I find ironic because you know Iran was rapidly moving toward a Western secular. Oh, society without a doubt, that was that was going to be very successful. Um, the people who left when the Shah was deposed, you, you can't pick those people out of a lineup as regular Americans. No. Uh, so, so uh, I, I mean, I think part of it is, for example, if you're China, you look around and you say, for, for the Chinese leadership, you know, and these are people who've been at the, you know, in, in the Communist Party for a while, and they've, they've done well, and they've always sort of been insulated from the, from the life of the, the average, what I would call the average Chinese citizen. Their worldview is is very heavily focused on we once were at the top, we need to get back to the top and put our empire back together again. Because if we do, then I can lift up all of you know this 1.2 billion population that I've got. I can raise, I, we can make their lives better. But our principal impediment to doing that is the fact that we are no longer the empire that we were, and we have to deal with the West. So that 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 might be a the, the Chinese worldview in a nut or leadership worldview in a nutshell, but the Russians, it's we were the we were the second you know greatest power in the world, maybe the greatest peer to peer with the United States and with Western Europe. Everybody hates us. We've always been an outcast. We had a huge empire where we were protected and controlled ourselves, and life was pretty good. So now you know life is terrible, and and we have to get our empire back. 
and and then we can we can affect the lives of, of everybody around us. I mean, I think that's I think that's their worldview. But you'll notice in both cases the worldview focuses on I don't really worry about the status of my people right now because I got to get the empire back. Same way I, in I Iran, think, I imagine. Yeah, I think I think Iran looks at looks. Well, like Iran's this. got the big religious overdose on top of it, which makes well, it but worse. that's part of the that's part of the empire. You know, that's part of the culture. We used to be the the leading culture in the world. We wanna we wanna get back there. Um, for for some for some aspects of this, it's a it's it's different. You know, it's it's we used to you know the the. Um, the Arab Empire, the Muslim Empire, used to extend all the way to Spain. You know, we don't anymore. We got to get back there. But our big impediment is the Jews, and that's I think that the uh, Jews and their, their, their allies, us. Well, yeah. I mean, we're yeah, we're we're right in that in that same basket. I, I just want to go. I, I don't want to go any longer because I see Dan's Dan's in the in the room. Um, hey, hey, Lou, hey. can I chime in for a sec though? Go, man. Go. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be in Colorado next week. I, I just was wondering where you are in Colorado. I'm in Denver. Where are you? I'm going to be in Denver and Castle Rock. Okay. We should okay. try to meet up for a, a drink or a coffee. I would love. I would love to. Um, okay. let, let's. Uh, are you on our email chain? I am, and and I'll I'll get your contact information from from the chief. Roger that, sir. Okay, very good. That's that's terrific. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and, then, and now, and then we, you know, Dan, we can plot against the chief. Oh, without a doubt. Good thing, good thing his name is. Uh, hey, I'm in. I'm totally in. Good thing his name wasn't isn't Roger. 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 <laughs> anyway, anyway, that, that that's just that's just my take on it. Uh, it. Dan, it's good to good to talk to you, man. I'll look forward to seeing you next week. You'll we'll uh, take Tom, care of yourself. I'll, if uh, we might off. have to have you before next week, if this keep this thing keeps uh, evolving. Uh, I thought Mike I'm, did a nice job the other day with. Uh, all the different players and where they all live. I got to get myself a big map here and see where everybody is. Because <laughs> I mean, you know, we've talked. We everybody, everybody's forgotten the debacle that was Syria. I don't know who, who's where in there anymore. I don't. I mean, he said Hezbollah is in Lebanon. I, I would love to. I was talking yesterday, but I would love to see. And, and Dan's of the same mindset of me. I'm sure without putting words in his in his mouth. I'd love to see a big, huge choreography on a board of who all the players are. Where are, where they're all getting their money? Where their bank accounts are? I mean, is 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 anybody? I gotta believe our people are trying to follow all this stuff because I, I wonder how the hell, how does Iran get a check when they can't? When they they they're they're out of the SWIFT system. Um, I know they have dollar bills because hundred dollar bills because we gave it. How exactly do they get money to Hezbollah or Hamas? And where the hell do you go hire? How do you go buy a thousand rackets? And then how do you pay them without somebody knowing about it? I mean, to, the the details on this to me are fascinating. And I'd I'd love to see them, but I don't. Where can you find them? And nobody has them, do they? Uh, we we track them, and and with that, I'm going to say say goodbye. All right, take care, Dan, bud. Take care. Well, next week let's talk about that. Uh, well, let's just let's go without a break. Dan, since you're here, S P futures are up 16. Nasdaq futures up 52. Any kind of bad news means the Fed backs off and the market goes up. Are we are we in that are we in that column, Dan, or am I just being too cynical? Uh, a little bit cynical, maybe. There's you know we're definitely um, seeing a you know, a good tone. I think the tone that's coming in the market, it's very hard to make money right now in, in the in the equity market. And I think the tone that's coming in that's positive is still all of that money that has been um, pushed into the system. And think about, you know, if we step back and think about the coasts, the coasts in our country, especially Northeast uh, California, there's a huge amount of money and a huge amount of equity in real estate. And I don't know if you're seeing this from your client base, 
but I'm seeing a lot of movement finally. Although although they say that supply in housing is is um, difficult because of interest rates, I'm seeing people move into other countries. I have a clients move into Spain, Costa Rica, Mexico. Um, I'm seeing I'm seeing some action. I'm seeing. I mean, the, the not so great news for me is that they're taking their retirement assets and, and putting them into real estate overseas, but. But what I'm seeing is a lot of money still that's in our system. There's still a lot of money that's in 401ks and other retirement plans. And that's gonna continue to trigger, um, you know, it's gonna continue to, to keep a, a positive tone in the market. The other thing that I'm seeing, and I'm not sure if you're seeing this, Chief, but the, the one noticeable thing that I've been seeing, even just in the last few weeks, is a number of clients that are looking for like, great returns that they seem to think that there is a magic place and I'd love to know where that is myself where you can make a lot of money in this market and I would say that there is not a magic place just yet there may be a time in the near future where the tide turns but going back to your question I would say this is still a challenging environment there's you know we have the political unrest um, that you guys were just talking about, I don't think is impacting the market directly, um, but I think it's one more thing that's that's taken some of the confidence out in not only the market, but in the global economy. So when you list the issues that we're currently dealing with that are impacting our equity or our financial markets in a negative way, higher interest rates is at the top of that list. The Fed will probably have one more increase before the end of the year. Are they getting to the top? I would say yes. However, I do, as I've said right from the beginning, see this as a prolonged period of time with elevated interest rates. At some point, we may see a flattening, a more of a flattening of the yield curve, which means you'll get more um, if you go out to the 10 or 30 year bond. But right now, the risk-free trade, five and a half percent on a six month T-bill is the way to go. So there are periods of time when you're managing money that you step to the sidelines. And I don't mean necessarily with all of your assets, but with a large portion of your assets that would be um, the ones that are tradable. This is still that time. If you look back in performance this year, when we were doing our third quarter numbers, we were up about four and a half percent net of fees on average. Um, the Dow, for example, is only up a little over 1%. The S&P is just about about the same if you take out the Magnificent Seven. And looking at bonds, they're down a little bit this year. Well, the Russell's but down. Do, the Russell's down. And the Russell, yeah. But yeah. but the, it's it's just not producing the 8 to 10% returns that I think some clients are still expecting. And I don't know how they, they you know, some clients I'm wondering, you know, I'm looking at their returns and haven't been an institutional portfolio manager most of my life. We look at relative returns and we also look at preservation of capital and as you do. I mean, we're in the same, we have the same general strategy of preserving clients' capital. And it's such a strong thing for clients who are approaching retirement or in retirement, clients who are on fixed incomes to be able to preserve that capital. And it's not the time to be, you know, going for the grand slams and the home runs. It's the time to be hitting singles and doubles and be happy with six to 8% positive return. 
because that negative return of 20% that we saw in, in 2020, that drops your value down, um, your total asset, your total market value down, much harder to earn that back because you have to earn more than 20% just to break even. So I would say that the period is still uncertain. It's still volatile. Interest rates are the most concerning thing. Geopolitical risks are right up there. You, got, you, you guys were talking earlier about China, Russia, Middle East, and now let's throw, you know, um, and Ukraine, now let's throw Iran and Israel into the picture and we've got, you know, even more. And I think this trend continues with the geopolitical risk um, becoming a larger piece of global risk, a larger piece of the global economy. And although I, my, my you know, solution, if, if you will, is for the U.S. to start being a little more U.S.-centric, um, and it goes back to what I've mentioned before, you put the mask on when you're on the airplane and, 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 the, and the oxygen mask to fall, you put it on yourself first before the child that's sitting beside you, your child who's sitting beside you. And in that case, I think we're doing, the, I think we're making a mistake here, um, whether it be the immigration issues, which are out of control in you know, a lot of major cities, or whether we're talking about funding going overseas to these endless wars, you know, like Afghanistan that lasts forever and ever. I think we do need to protect ourselves and we do need to protect our allies. But when you're looking at the markets, the impact that, they, that, that these geopolitical risks are having, it doesn't look good. It doesn't mean the markets are gonna tank because of that, but it's just one more thing that's adding you know, pressure onto the markets. That's gonna keep, I think, investors from, be, from being too overly optimistic. Well, there's, it's, it's, I see. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen more of a, a dichotomy of, of what we're. I've seen in the last really, I've kind of been warning about it, uh, Dan, and uh, you, you've been a little against me on this one, not too much. I've kind of been warning about it because I, I think the, the, the reenkindlement of the student loan. I think a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck, and 42 yes. million people, sending an average of 286 dollars a month to the government is going to cause an issue and it happened in October and we had one of the guys on the show said he's he's sent $1,100 check uh, and almost concurrent with that this month I've gone to a couple of like family sort of restaurants that Audrey and I have our, our routine out in the burbs and uh, last couple of weeks we're two places and all of a sudden they're, they're, they've seen a big stop in business because these, yes. are, these are family kind of places now the prices are up where your family now, if you have three kids, you're talking about two hundred hours for dinner, which is kind of a lot, even in a, like a, a Mexican place. Uh, and they, and they said it's almost like they've kind of hit a wall. And yeah. the other day, the guy from Walmart came out and said, for the first time in ten years, the the, the average consumer has hit a wall. So th- this is starting to happen, you know, all of a sudden, you know, uh, gradually, then all of a sudden, I think. And yet, on the other hand. You have a population, and I have a you know piece of paper here. Some guy wrote this article. Like, first of all, I couldn't believe it, Dan, where he said, "If we go into a big recession, you think the market's going to go down? It's not, because the Fed is going to pour more money in. We just had a depression during COVID, and the market went straight up because they're they're going to inflate it. So, and that, yes. and and what 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 you're seeing and what I'm seeing is, you know, yes, people are selling their homes in Florida, pretty much still at the top, and getting the hell out of here. Uh, and, and you're seeing that sort of here in Illinois. I'd be selling places. The guys are going to Indiana or Tennessee or wherever the hell they're going. I mean, you're seeing this sort of escapism. 
But the people in the middle, the people that have the, the two kids have the third kid, there's no way on earth they can sell their three-bedroom house and buy a four-bedroom house at twice the mortgage. Mm-hmm. That, that whole area, the normal movement among families where, you know, this is my first I the wifey and I, we just get married, we get a condo, we have one kid, we get a small house, we have two kids. That, that trading of, of uh, real estate, almost like people would trade, you know, now you have to put the, th- the second bathroom and next bedroom on because you can't move it. It's, it's an artificial halt in that area. And, and uh, it just seems kind of contrived. And, and you wonder if it's how many of the big stocks we're talking about. Dan. I mean, I wonder today, because I have a, you know, a, a cynical view of some of these people, how much of Microsoft's massive run over the last 20 years compared to just about any other stock has to do with the fact that they moved overseas, were buying other places with money they didn't pay taxes on, and now they owe the IRS $28 billion. I mean, how, mu- how much of the, the advancement of these places are because they just friggin' cheat? You know, I'm yes. at, I mean, are you, I, I guess that's good business. You're, you're taking advantage of the loopholes that you see. But, you know, someday maybe I want somebody in jail for this because you and I had to pay more because they didn't. You know, I'm getting, right. I'm getting a little No, I, I absolutely agree. And not only do you and I have to pay more as a result, Tom, what happens, I think, is that there is a um, – small the, biz, the smaller business owner gets shut out. And that's what is disturbing yeah. to me that when you have the mega companies and you, but yet you've got smaller players that may offer like something in a niche market or may offer better service – or a product that's a little bit better quality, they there's it's it's sort of anti-American to be allowing these small businesses to you know have not be able to survive, not being able to provide the support for small business owners. And I think it's I think the number is something like two thirds of all companies are fall into the um, into the category of small business, and that's really what our our country was founded on, and it's and it's still what it's founded on in terms of people who come legally into this country that want to start businesses that have that ambition, and and for for those businesses to be squeezed out by the larger players just is not American. It's, as far it's as been concerned. happening for three decades. It has, you know, it has, it it, it has been a, a you know over a period of time, but it just seems heightened right now that that's you know because of uh, for a combination of reasons it seems heightened there's the one other thing i wanted to point out is and i've been talking about this for years is just the job imbalance so despite the fact that you know we're seeing as you're mentioning and i agree with you that the stock market is still seems to have a good tone to it i mean it 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 seems like it's going to run no matter what the concerns i have and the reason that I believe that the Fed is going to hike again and we're going to continue to see high, high rates, not necessarily higher rates, but high rates, this job imbalance situation is really serious. It's been serious since the beginning and it hasn't gotten resolved. So the companies I talk to still say that's their number one challenge, finding good talent at good prices. Well, Dan, so what, they're doing, stay with that topic, but I want to inject a... Uh, kind of a serious, well, not that you're not talking about a serious serious question that for my whole lifetime, and it's been a while, uh, anybody who had a future in any kind of a manufacturing sort of thing, even in the auto companies, because they, they have less and less people, hours per car than they did when I was younger, or you were younger, uh, this, this whole idea of, now all of a sudden we brought back, you know, some manufacturing from China. Manufacturing appears to be 
know, it's newer, it's more modern, appears to be a place to have a job again. I, I don't know how you go from 50 years of telling people that may be a job, but it's not a career, to all of a sudden saying now it can be a career. I don't, I don't know if that's, A, a true statement, and B, it's going to take a while for people to... What would it take the most of the, the kids that your friends, and I'm saying you, you know, people you know from Boston and other places, I'm not going to call you you know, a one percenter or anything like that, what would it take one of those kids to head into a manufacturing facility and learn how to be a, a big machine repairman? I'd say there's no chance in hell. I would totally agree with, with you on that, and especially where I've done a fair amount of manufacturing facility tours, You know, looking at companies that we own or we're looking to own, and just, I think I may have mentioned this to you before, seeing a lot of gray hair on the floor of those places where, um, you know, that has definitely changed. Another thing, and, and I have to apologize if you hear background noise, I'm finally well, having my roof installed after yeah. over a year from the hurricane. I'd rather hear the background noise than the rain landing on your head. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, <laughs> you think that's funny. There's some tile that landed in my pool, through, went right through my pool cage. So, God. Um, but, but even just with the with the situation, and I know it's exaggerated here in Florida because so many people need new roofs, but the quality of talent is just not there. I'm having to play supervisor while I work. Um, but what I'm learning from the process is kind of what we've been talking about it, and I'm seeing it. It's not just on my neighbors' houses. I'm seeing it on mine now in real life so we have people who are here illegally that are working their butts off it was 91 yesterday 91 percent humidity they're up there i mean i'm feeding them drinks and food and you know trying to keep them happy but you know there were errors you know i you know there there, there were mistakes there there was you know a tarp that was left off and a rainstorm that caused additional flooding inside my house those type of things didn't happen 10 15 20 years no, ago no so the quality, what I guess what I'm getting at is the quality of talent, the only talent that that um, companies can find is just, they just don't have the skills and they, well, more importantly, and we, we've talked about this as well, is they don't have the training. There is right. no supervisor on this job. So Dan becomes um, GC contractor supervisor. And fortunately, these these guys, you know, the, I can speak enough Spanish to be able to talk to them, and, and they have they come out with smiles on their face and work their butts off, and you know, you you just are have to be so grateful that they're here. But what doesn't make sense to me is why aren't there people, just as you're saying, younger people that are saying, hey, you know, they're getting paid fifty bucks an hour. Yeah, it's hard work, but you know, hard work. What's wrong with some hard work for a period of time? Well, that's that's a whole different. I mean, Another subject. Well, I'm not, well, I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna be. Was it Socrates that said this new generation sucks? Well, okay, that was forty thousand years ago. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, but I mean, the idea of, uh, I mean, I was, I was a janitor. I worked in a factory, did all those kinds of things. I drove a cab. Uh, kids today would, wouldn't, wouldn't even think of that. I mean, I, the, the, the people I know down here, their kids. Hey, I got a job for you being a janitor in the summer of Chicago public, public schools. They look at you like. Four heads. You mean I got to clean like a bathroom or something? I go. It's a great job. You don't do very much. You get paid. <laughs> what, are you, right. what are you talking about? You can shoot baskets for an hour in the afternoon. Nobody cares. I mean, I mean, I thought it was. I thought it was heaven. But you know, but you you couldn't get anybody to do that. But right now, for somebody, I mean, what what Kevin does at their school in Indiana, I mean, if somebody has a job to be a roofer, when all of a sudden everybody needs a roof, fifty, sixty bucks an hour. 
hey, could I do that for three or four years while I'm going to night school? In 10 years from now, I'm still going to be an executive. But by the way, I'm going to be a rich executive or a wealthy executive. Uh, I, the, the, the blend, my generation, I would have done that. Although, I would have you know, yeah. But I mean, it's, I mean, how many people went and worked on the oil fields for two, three years, made a fortune, came back and went to school? I, mean, but, I know plenty of people who do that. Yeah. But I'm saying, right now, a lot of these kids, the thought of man, you know, what's with manual labor is the Hispanic guy down the block. I mean, it, I, mean I know it's hor- horrible to say, but that's, that's their vision of it, right? Right. I mean, and that's not. Yeah, and it's really, yeah, and it's really uh, sad that they're, they're, you know, that this is happening because it's, it, what needs to happen really is we need to have an administration that's going to encourage this kind of work. We need to have. I have a cousin who is um, runs is a dean of a community college in a relatively poor set part of Eastern Carolina, and he goes door to door knocking on people's houses. He's like, frankly, this good Samaritan trying to get kids off the street, trying to get some of these these kids who don't have uh, who don't think that they have options, and offering them right. programs and and exactly what we're talking about, whether it be manufacturing or auto repair or you know, those jobs now pay really well. And if you have the proper training and the proper encouragement, and if the opportunity is put in front of your face, and, you know, it's, he, I think my cousin is a rare um, person in this environment. I, I, I don't think people are, you know, kids are getting that sort of guidance and, um, you know, that they don't have the ambition, but they also don't see the need. And in a lot of cases, you know, we're, it's our generation, the baby boomer generation that made money. My parents came from very poor families, do, did not have those resources. I've always known that I have to work for everything, and that's perfectly fine. I wouldn't trade that for anything. I'm not sure if I would want money handed to me. I'm not sure if I would want, you know, once I get into my 30s and older, would have wanted my parents to be bailing me out, you know, unless I maybe got hospitalized permanently or something. I, I can't imagine a situation where that would have happened, and I'm very happy that, that it never did and never will. Well, it's nice. So, to, it's nice to have a place to fall back on, even if you ever need it. Yes. Yeah. No. Absolutely. But but you know, our business is a little unique because we also make money, and we're good at that. So we, it's a, it it has a, a professional as well as a personal um, incentive. Remember, uh, I don't know if you were a fan of uh, of All in the Family. Yes. And Arch, Archie yeah. being the the guy yeah. the guy that he was, uh, the the meathead was getting uh, was about to get laid off or something, and so. Archie was always giving to me had no one to grief, right? He says to him, you know, I was in the same situation, blah, 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 and I lost my job, and Edith and I just got married, and we're doing this, and we're scrambling, and I'm working two jobs, you know, waiting tables doing this. And he said, you know, uh, something about his parents were dead, and, uh, and he said to Meathead, he goes, the difference is I'm not dead. You're not right. going to be on the street like they were, because I want you to get a job, I want you to contribute, but the fact is I'm not dead. So if right. it comes to that, you got a room, <laughs> you know, yeah, which, is, is, which is no nice, question. which is nice. Uh, but hey, yeah. uh, the how much? I guess what we're both starting to say is how how much can you trust the new mentality? And I, I use this as an example because uh, not only a lot of the people who uh, you and I do business with one firm, there's a lot of people that have Nvidia and Apple and so forth. And I don't necessarily want to put them in the same category, by the way. I, uh, or Microsoft. We have a lot of those holdings. And I, I'm kind of stunned that we saw this NVIDIA drop to, well, it got down to, what, 100-something uh, in 22. And then it ran up to 508, went down to 400, and now it's back up to 467. But then when it got to 508, 
I didn't get one call saying, you know, I got 10,000 shares. Maybe maybe I can roll with nine up at this number. Or, or boy, I sure as hell wouldn't buy 10,000 shares at 500, you know, 10,000 exaggerate a little bit. Or maybe we should at least get some kind of a, a year-out put spread or something in case it goes back down. Or yeah, maybe, maybe we can absolutely. sell the 540. I'm not, I'm not advocating anything like that because, you know, certain depending on your role in life, all the strategies change for you. You and I know that. We would never give specific recommendations, but we didn't know the person. But but to not even have a phone call saying, maybe I should lighten up on this, is is real dangerous. It's real dangerous. Because what it tells me is someday there's gonna, they're going to sell NVIDIA at 50. You know, yes. and, it, and that's not, I don't want to see that happen to people, A, I manage money for, people I like. Yeah, there's nothing I can do about it. There, there, there's the, 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 these are not stocks, they're religions. And, and you can't do that, I don't think. Just just saying. Cisco, Oracle, Dell, uh, Microsoft for how many years? You yeah. name it. Um, how many of those places didn't even come? They're, they're not where they were. Cisco's lower than what it was in 2000, for God's sake. It's 25 years later. I know, and it's and it's those statistics that we look at that that I don't think the average investor. I think they get some sort of um, you know quick you know very impulsive idea. One thing you got to really avoid, and this this goes out to the listeners, is if you tend to have an impulsive personality, make sure you sleep on something before you make a decision. It really makes sense in this business, and I've learned that over the years. Fortunately, I don't have an impulsive personality, but but you have to be very careful about just jumping on an impulse, or or your friend Joe says that he's got some new hot strategy that's going to give you ten percent, and you're only earning five percent, and and you know, be very careful and really think it through. The other thing I would say to the to the listeners is, if you are thinking about putting money in a strategy, start small. So, for example, if you have 100% of your assets um, with one manager, put 10% of them and put them in a in a horse race. In other words, see how they the new manager performs, the new strategy performs over the next year. And as you have a chance to build that relationship, because it is a relationship business, it's just not stocks, you know, it is a relationship business, then add over time, but to put all your eggs in one basket because somebody told you that you're going to become rich and maybe even rich and famous, <laughs> then you, um, you're really doing a disservice to yourself. And if you are at retirement age, you're doing a very big disservice to yourself. Diversification is really key. So be very careful with these gimmicky ideas because that's all they are. Well, They're also, only going to be around for a period of time. I'm Strategies just... like yours, Tom, and my strategy, we w- it, this environment is perfect for our strategies. Yep. It's perfect for you in the sense of the volatility of stocks. You minimize that volatility and you preserve capital. We do the same thing on the bond side. We're getting really good income um, from not only T-bills but also from corporate bonds, you know, 85 9%. On corporates, and we are still investing in some of the smaller names, but we're doing it very, very um, with a lot of research and in a very controlled manner. Well, I think uh, Dan, one of the first thing, and we don't got, I guess, I do it in thirty seconds or less. We got more time than that, but I'm going to give a Cliff Notes version. Is as an investor, the first thing you can do is understand, or call me, or call Dan, or call somebody. At least understand what it, what the investing world is, what a money manager does. I mean, what what yes. Dan what Dan does is very rare. What I do is almost non-existent. You know, use options to to essentially uh, change somebody's uh, risk reward curve to more man yes. to more 
uh, fitting the person than just straight long stack or short stack. Uh, but if you, a regular money manager, if you go with, say, Big Cat Mike or Big Cat Bob, uh, right. and what does Big Cat Bob do? Okay, he looks at, let's say, the top 100 stocks, and he goes, ah, let's see, Disney, that should be 3% of my basket or 2%, and eh, I don't like Disney, I'm going to be 1% Disney. Or what about Caterpillar? Now, there's a good one. Instead of being 3% of my basket, it's going to be 4 That In order to beat the market, you essentially underweight or overweight quote, the market. Yes. What else can you do? We're not talking about options. We're not talking about anything else. Uh, and we're not putting money in T-bills. We're, we're going to be fully invested. Well, okay, everybody, even a blind squirrel finds an acorn every now and then. I mean, everybody's going to have a year where they, they caught it right, where the market's up 6%, and by the way, they're up 9 Okay, now to do that two years in a row, now there is the trick. <laughs> I mean, because now just because, now do you stick with your winners, which is, which is the, I'm going to say, the bane of that existence, because you liked Caterpillar last year, maybe you don't like it so much this year. I think they're very slow to change, Dan. So you almost yes. want to pick the guy who had a crummy last year versus the good last year, right? Because these things tend uh, to come, they tend yeah, to come back to the mean. To the mean. Yeah. yeah, and I think more importantly, you want to stick with the guy that's consistent with his strategy. In other words, isn't changing. One thing I'll, I'll say about Fidelity, having grown up in Boston, having worked in the investment management in Bo- uh, business in Boston for many years, having known many people and some close friends who've worked there, they tend to have a star system rather than a team system. And what they do with a lot of their fund managers is they take people in and they give them free reign, which any portfolio manager, we all like having free reign. In other words, we can buy what we want. However, what happens to the basic strategy of the Magellan Fund is a really good example. As it changed hands, it may have gone from a mid-cap um, balanced fund to a, you know, an aggressive growth fund. Um, it may have gone from small and mid up to large, depending on who was running the show. And Fidelity gave that, or you know, there was a long leash for their managers, a lot less risk control. Our strategies, your strategy and my strategy, are all about risk control. And this is the environment you want a good portion of your portfolio in a risk-controlled strategy. But, Dan, you also have to, not have to, but if you're, I won't say, what was it, Kmart, uh, that, you know, if the guy wants a blue suit, you turn on the blue light, right? I mean, I mean hopefully neither one of us do that, but that right. is a, that is a strategy, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, I mean, the, the, the problem comes is, and I, I think the problem for, for certainly for, for me uh, recently, because the market's kind of all over the place, is if if you sit down with somebody in December and you have a cup of coffee and you say, okay, what do you what do you like going forward next year? Because now selecting even the the ETFs, if you want to be diversified, selecting the when I first started the business, everybody was in the spider was the only ETF. Then then you had a choice between the spider and the Qs. You had two ETFs. Okay, yes. well now there's all kinds of. Them. So if you sit down and you've got you know J- Jane and Jane and Joe sitting there and they go. Well, you know, the big caps had a pretty thing last year. We'd rather be uh, 50% in the Russell, okay? And we don't really like the fact that there's only a few stocks doing anything in the queues. Let's put the rest in, in the spiders, all right? So we do our, our stuff, and maybe we can drag a few extra bucks from the, co- you know, from the covered calls, and uh, the couple times it went down, maybe we were able to roll the put. So let's say the Russell is down 2%, and we're even, or up 1% or something, which... Isn't bad, you know, and we, we never. Same thing with the spider. Maybe we're up a couple percent more than the spider, and we never had a downturn when it went down, or something like that. So, in other words, we we did our job. 
Well, the next conversation is, looks to me like the market's up 25% and you guys are up 2 Right. Well, 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 wait a minute. We, we, no, no. I, your job is to be in the one that moves the most, not just do what you do with the ones we selected. I mean, it's like, okay then. <laughs> because how many yeah. people talk to you and say, you made me to six percent, you promised me, but by the way, my neighbor made twelve. You know, and you're like, well, okay. I had a guy once where he said I could have put instead of giving you the money if I would have bought houses. This was in like 2006, and I go. I think you'd had a real problem if you saw money leave, left your account and I all of a sudden bought a house for you. I mean, how, how the hell am I yeah, going to do that? It, <laughs> it's interesting. I, I have followed a few clients who um, who have bought real estate with, with some of their financial assets. And I'm not talking about their primary residence because that's a very different story. But looking to like invest in flip properties and all of that, which is very common here in Florida, and in every single case, they ended up giving the money back and yeah. getting out of that business. It's a tough business unless you are in real estate 100% of the time, like like uh, Audrey and your and your people that come on once a week, that they could do it because they know the they have the drumbeat of the market and they're in it, you know, all day long. You know, they've been doing this for a long time. So they that those are the kind of people that could do that. But just for somebody to say, hey, I'm gonna quit my job and start flipping yeah. real estate or I'm going to take you know, in retirement, I think I can make more money in real estate than I can. Going back to what I said earlier, it's all about diversification. Well, Dan, so we got a, we got a dash, bud. We got a dash. Uh, we're a little over. Sure. Hey, uh, uh, who are you going to talk the worst about, you and Lord Greg or me? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I missed you. I'm sorry. When you and Lou get together and talk bad about us, you talk bad about me or talk about Greg? You should just pile it on the producer. <laughs> I'm going to try to meet him. I may even work out, it might even work out. I'm looking at my calendar. It might work out that we can do it at the same time next Thursday. Okay. Well, that'd be cool. All right. We'll, we'll be in touch about that. All right, Dan, have, take have care of yourself. Uh, you too. Uh, CPI just came out up 4 versus 0.3, so we just dropped here. And the SP futures only up 5. NASDAQ futures unchanged. Uh, let's go to a real quick break, and we'll get John on, and I'll dig up the CPI numbers. See your future. Be your future. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tomorrow, Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures is only up four now. NASDAQ Futures. Really unchanged. It's all came out. The CPI came out at uh, 
0.4 versus a, a 0.3, and we'll, we'll go through these with Mr. Flanagan in a second. Other than it's raining, what do you want to tell everybody about sports, weather, and traffic? It's raining, Hawks lose, and traffic sucks. There you go. That's, that's all I got. That's good <laughs> enough. All right. We've got <clears throat> the, uh, let's see, everything with uh, without food and energy, uh, food away at home, energy. We got, I'm going, there we go, all items. <clears throat> Less food and energy is 0.3%. So these are the adjusted. Actually, the unadjusted is less than the adjusted this month, which is kind of rare. We have Mr. Flanagan. Mr. Flanagan, is it you? You do indeed, Tom. Good morning. We have John or we have his dad, Mr. Flanagan. <laughs> this is me. This oh. is I. <laughs> I always thought Mr. Flanagan was your dad when I knew him. <laughs> he still is to me. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. Uh, those guys, you never forget them. They were unusual, <laughs> an unusual generation, shall we say. What do you make of the numbers here a little bit? We had the PPI yesterday, which was uh, kind of lousy, and it was uh, a lot of it was energy. It was, was 0.9, for God's sake. Uh, and we have not a CPI, and I, I, I think some of this might just be um, stuff running through, but also there's a lag to these numbers, but also there's a lag in a lot of the of your utilities and things like that to take a while to work their way through. And no matter how much the Fed does, they're never going back down. That's why, John, I can't, I can't emphasize enough. It's, I've been saying it for 25 years. You can't let this crap happen because once it does, it has ramifications that cause problems and you can never get it back. Just saying. And uh, and sure enough, it happened. And, and, and I think uh, some of the people we have in Washington... And state legislatures and something is a, you know, bore everybody with this one more time. There's three kinds of people in the world, right, according to the trading floor. Some people make things happen, some people watch things happen, and most people wonder what happened. And I think you got a lot of people in, in Senate and House and other places wondering exactly what happened. They think everything's okay, and guess what? It's not. I mean, people, the inflation's double what they think it is, or they, they tell themselves it is, and, and we're working our way through. Now we've got wars all over the damn place. And I'll still, as a, as a, you know, this is my economic background, is, and, and Dan just mentioned it, you know, and a lot of people are, you know, quasi-isolationists where we need to take care of ourselves first and not worry about war in the Middle East. And in Chicago, we don't like the idea of 15,000, 20,000 uh, people coming in here by bus. And, by the way, nobody likes to see that. But if you compare that to... 100 and some or 200 and some thousand people that have left in the last decade. You look at the incredible deficit the cities run, how they don't have any money, there's neighborhoods falling apart. These people didn't cause that. I mean, if, if we had a, a balanced budget for the last 20 years in the federal government, and, and wars are always horrible, but the extra $20 billion or 50 we're sending over there wouldn't be the pimp on the ass of an elephant. But the fact is, we're broke starting out. And that's a bad spot to be, John. I mean, we, we, the, the Hamas and the, and the Jewish people did not put the hole in our, our, the $33 trillion hole in our place. We did that. So be careful what you blame other people. I mean, I, you know, and we, and we jump right to that, right? I mean, uh, I don't know why we do. Our, 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 our big problems economically are self-inflicted. They don't know nobody else. We were spending twice as much on Medicare and Medicaid as we are in defense, damn near, pretty close. And, oh, by the way, there's people paying, uh, you know, $6,000 for an MRI 
when you can go somewhere else and get it for 500 and somehow or another we let that happen and we wonder why we're broke John. i mean i this this has been a festering sore for how many years for god's sake Just all saying. of our lives Tom. um <laughs> it's, it's become acute in the last 20 years i yeah. think but it's um and, and even more acute probably in the last you know five years but um you know we, we've you know erred on the side of neglect when you know there was there was every reason to be observant whether it was in you know uh, you know, allowing drug companies to overcharge Americans so that they can undercharge everybody else, or maybe charge exactly what, the, what these pharmaceuticals are worth every place else in the world. But Americans are funding the research and they're paying through the nose to have those drugs prescribed. They're not funding the research; they're paying the people. The, the people who run the place exorbitant amounts of money. Research is part of it, but well, you know, the one thing I, I, I agree with about RFK Jr.'s you know platform is to ban television ad- advertising for pharmaceutical companies. People I talk to who come from other countries um, and watch American TV are absolutely astounded at the number and, and complexity, and you know, just the, the the tyranny of drug commercials on television. And of course, I've, I've noticed it for a long time, which is why I, I stopped watching. You know the network news programs, all of them, because they're really just infomercials for the pharmaceutical companies. Well, Jan, when, when did that and start? When, that was the law here. Yeah, How was it? Well, it, 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 I think you know, I, I'm going to say that it's you know changed sometime in 2000s. I can't remember. I will, I will bet that how our, or exactly when. I'll pretty, bet that our, in, our engineer, our engineer Greg Pappas, will find this out in 30 seconds. Yep. There was there was a law saying you couldn't advertise on TV, and it somehow it it got amended. I'm going to say, Greg, you can find this out. My guess will be 2012, maybe 2010, when when we were able to advertise drugs on TV and radio. I think it was, you know, it's earlier than that, but I, I could I'm be probably wrong. wrong. So. Greg, you going to find that out for us, bud? Probably Looking. Um, he, he says September 1985. Really? That far back? There's a moratorium on the DTCA advertising I was going to last like 25 years. <laughs> That's not bad, God. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Hey, how about those bears? <laughs> a year here, a year there, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I'll I, put I, it in the show notes. I was uh, astounded. I was too. Uh, Greg probably doesn't, you know, I've never even knows what this stuff is. Uh, when Viagra and what was the other one, there, there's, there were three of them. But it's it's uh, Viagra and then there was the one, uh, the Weekender. The Vitra. Levitra, and then there was a Levitra, but then there's a third. It never actually advertised much. Uh, there, there's three of them. Uh, Cialis. There's Cialis yeah. is the weekender, right? Anyway, the uh, they were, I'm going to say, forty million dollars a year to NFL, and as soon as they went generic, they were they were all over CNBC because they know their clientele. And they were all over the NFL. They know the age of their clientele in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, they were forty. Were they forty million a piece, Jan, or was it forty million total? That they were they were CNBC and the NFL. And the day they became generic, they, all all the advertising stopped. But they actually were able to extend those patents for seventeen years, and they pulled some BS and managed to get them stretched to nineteen years. And we're talking about. <clears throat> I I think the. The original pill was what fifty bucks a shot, literally. Yep. yep. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, and the generics are five. 
So that's 45 hours times how many bazillion pills for two extra years, not to mention the first 17. I'm going to say they spent 10 times easy the amount on, maybe 100 times easy the amount on, on commercials than they ever did on, on research for those products. Because they were high blood pressure pills that ended up they ended up finding a different a different use, shall we say, right or something? I don't know what the yeah. weekender. I don't know what the weekender was. Well, about, and you know, if you if you if you pay close enough attention to that, you'll see a, a lot of drugs that are repurposed, at least in terms of their advertising. I don't know if, if it's if they're repurposed in their composition or their formula, but um, all of a sudden, you know, a drug is you know, you know supposed to be for high blood pressure or you know type two diabetes or whatever else. All of a sudden, now it's for plex or or something else, and you know the. The, the the way that this plays out in the public imagination is you're always being distracted in these commercials from the nitty gritty of you know side effects or whatever else because they they become such high pres- pressure sales pitches with you know dance routines jingles uh, all over the place with, with little storylines in them that you're supposed to be paying attention to um, all the time you know they're they're just feeding you at top speed the side effects of this thing which are horrific. But oh, yeah, not, but, the advertising is so deceptive, deliberately so, because you know they have to tell you what the side effects are. But you, there's every possible intervention in the in the ad itself to make you. Well, plus, how many people, John, have, have a general physician that there's there, that that's their go-to guy anymore? You might have a group. You might have a, a care facility near you that you use. How many people actually have you know Doctor Joe down the block that takes care of somebody and you know knows the specialist and gets you in the hospital and taking and traces your stuff when you're in there? I mean, it's I mean if you have a concierge medicine, you might have somebody, but it's the care as the, as the costs have gone up. I think the care has gone down. The, spe- the specific stuff. I mean, if you have a problem uh, and some surgery and or, or something, you're going to get it done better now than you would 20 years ago. There's no doubt about that. But the, the actual care, I think, is, is falling off dramatically. And the difference in prices between one place and another, that needs to stop somewhere. But, hey, John, since we're on the, uh, without kind of debating the, um, uh, we've talked with Lou and we talked with uh, Dan somewhat, and we've certainly talked with Mike Murphy a couple times regarding, and, and, and Kevin, regarding, you know, the war, the politics, well, the, the several wars, the politics, and all the other stuff, and I, I think at some point, I mean, I, I, I sure as hell, this is way too complicated for me. Uh, I've learned so much from Mike and from Lou this week about who the, the players are. I'm, I'm dying to know where the cash is coming from, and given the fact that even though we freed up, going from one bank account to another, which maybe allowed Iran to free up other money, other money somewhere else, or maybe they did or they didn't, and we have allies buying oil from them and whatever the, the guy's got some dough I would love to to find a choreography and if, and if I was president which it ain't, and ain't ever going to happen even at the dog pound I would grab if I could find them the Republicans that are still not doing anything in Congress give me six of your best guys let's take six of the Democrats let's get our fannies out to Camp David we'll get a presentation big map of the Middle East here's where these guys are here's where these guys are Here's where their bank account is. By the way, they got how many rockets and a couple of tanks, and these other guys got X, and it looks to us like the money's coming from this Swiss bank account or this place or that place. 
are, are, are we just forming opinions based on our politics, or are we forming them out of knowledge? And I know any opinion that I may have right now, most of my opinions are, I don't know enough to have an opinion. Yet everybody around me seems to have an opinion, and they know less than me, it seems. Uh, but I, there, I, I probably know 5% of what I need to know to, to get an informed opinion. I want to know where the money's coming from. And who's, who's, before I accuse somebody, I want to know that this is an Iran offshore account and the Caymans, and oh, by the way, it shifted to this account, and oh, by the way, that's Hezbollah and this is Hamas, and they drew it down three weeks ago and they bought these rockets. Okay, where the hell did they buy the rockets from? They bought them from Greg Pappas Rocket Factory. Well, where the hell is that? Well, that's in the Sudan, or it's in, or it's in Georgia. I mean, I, I want to know all this before I can, form, I can come up with an opinion. Does anybody else feel that way, or they just want to have one anyway? If you could really trace where the money is coming from, I think we'd all be pretty appalled because it would point to, I think, more or less a consortium of intelligence agencies and paramilitary groups um, from you know, our supposed allies and maybe even our, our own intelligence operations, too, that are behind a lot of this stuff. I don't, I don't believe that it's an independent cabal of evil people who are seeking the destruction of the world. I mean, that, that's the easy way... To portray it, and if you listen to Lindsey Graham, it's the only way to portray it. You know, when in doubt, destroy it is, is kind of his mantra, um, and I, I think that that's got to be resisted always as the first course of action to follow until you know exactly what you're fighting against. But I think if we really knew who we were fighting against, we'd have to pull, all of us would have to pull back and say, let's not do anything right now because we're all involved in this to some extent. Well, my first question is. How did somebody get a thousand rackets? You know, by the way, did they use them all up, or do they have five thousand behind them, or how many do they have? How the hell do you buy stuff of that magnitude and nobody knows about it? Or, or is it? Well, or it's, they because, also... it's because it's well hidden, and to well to hide stuff well, it takes sophisticated intelligence operations. But if if it's from, are they are they just old stuff that's been around forever? I mean, people used to manufacture this. Stuff. I mean, how many? Was Lou's always talking about how many gazillion artillery shells the Russians have had since they've been making them since World War II, for God's sake. They, they just <laughs> they have boatloads of them. Okay, but, I mean, are these, I mean, Mike was saying they're all, they're not guided missiles. They're the kinds that, you know, kind of you, you see the, the truck where the thing pulls up like it's a dump truck and there's about 15 tubes heading, heading upward and the, all 15 of them fly out of the damn thing. and They're, they're just heading in a general direction. They're not, they're not, you know, uh, laser guided or guided by satellite or anything like that they're they're like scuds essentially right uh they're 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 dumb they're dumb missiles and what did mike say they're probably 100 times bigger than a mortar 50 times bigger than a mortar i mean they're not they're not an icbm but they are enough to do a lot of damage well they got to be heavy enough is it is it it a shipload is it two shiploads i mean i I need to know all this stuff before i started pointing fingers but i'll bet some of the fingers are going to land on people we don't want them landing on well, it was people were sitting in, in the halls of Congress, too. Well, maybe. Um, I hope Tom, not. Tom, remember on September 10th, 2011, although it, the news got buried the next day, but Donald Rumsfeld came out you know, and announced that there was a $9 billion shortfall in the Pentagon's budget. Um, well, it's, it, that's a lot of money, especially since it was it's never been found, to my extent. There's never been an audit to determine how this money vanished. And where it ended up, but it, uh, to me, it's it's absolutely predictable that the next day we have nine eleven, um, and wherever this money went, it was designed ultimately to fuel the wars that nine eleven was able to get people behind. 
So um, until we know where that money went, and whether it went to domestic co companies, whether it went to somebody's pocket overseas, whether it went to Hamas or Hezbollah, or whoever it went to, somebody knows where it went. Well, There's Jim, never been any attempt in, in this country to find out who got it and how it was used. But until you can answer questions like that, I don't think you can you can stop any of the stuff that's happening now from happening. Well, we all we talk about you know presidential elections and so forth, and I I uh, and everybody knows my stance personally on Trump, but I learned a boatload from his presidency, uh, in the sense that even if he wasn't you know the the shooter himself in the put foot every day kind of guy that he was, I'm not sure that Washington is re re ready to listen. To somebody who wants to change Washington, I mean, I don't. I mean, if 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 you and I somehow, you know, the, the Go Fish Party or what was the Bull Moose Party or something like that, if we get in as a third party candidate, when I start picking up the phone in the Oval Office, does anybody pick it up on the other end? Does they, they even talk to me? Do they have to? I mean, what what kind of power would I have if if none of those people supported me? I guess I could. Well, you, you have you have Trump as the prime example of somebody who was you know really the first outsider president in my lifetime and maybe maybe in quite a lot longer time period than that and he was he was cursed from the beginning there was no way that, that I'm gonna say the establishment I'm gonna say 60, of well 60 percent of it he deserved because of his personality because he could never get any cohesion around him but the 40 percent of it I'm very afraid of that just would happen to anybody I'm real afraid of that Tom, yeah. Tom, a, a nice person somebody nicer than Trump who also maybe would have the misfortune to get elected, um, would be treated the same or worse. I, I didn't say so, nice. Did I ever say, I'm from Chicago, John. I didn't say nice. No, but I mean, I don't want a nice person. For, I'm saying... I want a smart person. I'm, I'm going to say that uh, if, if it was me, and I ran from the outside at the CBOE, very small, not the presidency or anything like that, if you don't, and I made the mistake, if you don't maintain your support and have the threat of even more support... You're pretty much denuded, and if you were the the guy who, if you and I ran as a third party and we got in there, the threat to everybody who didn't want to play ball with us, Congress and anybody else, was, you know, we managed to get three senators and ten reps in with us this time. Two years from now, by the way, it's going to be fifty. Would you like it to be your district? That would, that would be the message. It's not you don't expect people to like you. I wouldn't, even though I wouldn't mind it if they did, but. Well, I mean, you mean, and we're saying the same thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it's about you know having a likable person. It's a person who knows where the bodies are buried and knows how to punish the people who buried them. But I don't see any any person with that kind of information and that kind of budget to run for president as a third party or as a mainstream candidate is going to be elected. And maybe maybe Trump will be. Well, I'm saying I'm, I'm taking the jump that if you were okay, and you'd have to be. I'm going to say a real, gift, you'd have to be you'd have Big to gift. you'd have to be a, a real horse's ass if I called the veterans group and I'm not so sure you have this power by the way if I called the veterans group or if I called some group and I said okay uh, by the way I would like an audit of these 15 veterans homes and it looks to me like we're not and if all of a sudden that audit didn't show up I have to be ready to do something amazingly un unprecedented and be Wilford Brimley in absence of malice the, the to haul my ass into the next meeting of the the cabinet group of the Veterans Administration and say, in this briefcase, there's 15 
resignation letters, and I want you all to sign one. You, you, you have to be ready to do that. And I, I don't know if anybody, I wouldn't want to do that. And how do you, how do you, given the size of the place, how do you even orchestrate your day? I'd, I would say I'd have to fight, I'd have to fire 25,000 people to get the message across in Washington. And, and I don't like to fire anybody, John. That's why I wouldn't want to, you know me. That's not my job. The last thing I want to do is be president and have to fire 25,000 people, if you even can. I don't know. Can you fire somebody? I don't even know. I mean, it, it would be worth trying. Yeah. I'm saying if, if somebody didn't cooperate, if they said, because I, I saw it at the CBOE, he's here for three years, he'll be gone in three years. Let's just wait him out. And, it's, and, and the, the bureaucracy has been able to do that. Now, now I'm saying I, th- I thought Trump was really awful at it. I don't know if he'd have been much better if he would if he'd have done any better. I, I don't. I'm asking you, John. I don't know the answer to that. If he if he'd have been uh, much more able to get, I think I think you have to do more. You have to use the carrot and the stick. You can either be with me, or oh, by the way, we're running somebody against you. I think is the conversation, right? Well, but then, but then that's somebody, two years. Go ahead. So, somebody who would have to call out, you know, the chicanery on you know the Democrats and Republicans both as part of his or her strategy to get elected, um, which Trump effectively did. I mean, he, 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 he ran as a total outsider, despised by both parties. That's when I decided I had to be for him, because I despised both of the parties, too. Was, but he but was such a... Anybody who would, who would, would have, have reached that point in public... But I mean, know, he was such a, ba- such a bad actor, John. I, I couldn't vote for Hillary because she had, she had trades come into an account that weren't hers. And I spent my whole Tom, life... I could I could never vote for her. You'll, it, it, if we live long enough, you'll be forced to vote for somebody much more distasteful than Trump if you want to fix what's wrong with um, this country. Jan, I, somehow or another, <clears throat> I landed being a member of the Buckingham Club. They had a nice bar there, closed now. I must have ran into eight people that were here from New York that knew the guy. Every one of them had gotten stiffed by the dude. <laughs> I mean, it, he didn't pay this, he didn't pay that. Just a despicable human being. I... I we got to do better now. <clears throat> I guess if you put, Tom, him, Tom, I, I say it again, you're going to have to end up voting for somebody much more despicable. Well, that's that. You to get rid of the of the situations you're criticizing. I, I mean, I guess my question is, well, to be honest with you, I didn't vote for either one of them. I voted for the Libertarian, which is a cop out, <laughs> you know, because I don't even know whether the hell they, that guy even did. So, but, but for starters, Tom, let's let's decide somebody like Hillary Clinton, who gets you know treated with kid gloves by most media outlets even to this day, is the only politician I can think of who has that kind of, you know, platform to speak from, who would do something as stupid as attacking half of the electorate because they didn't vote for her. And whether she calls them deplorables or people who need reprogramming, who the hell is she? Well, she's right about a few of them. And yet she she has no, you know, carries no baggage in in this at all. She carries all kinds of baggage. You show show me a politician, I'm saying by the way the media treats her, you show me any politician who could ever hope to get elected by insulting any voter. Well, it depends on how it's... Every voter who didn't vote for her. Trump has never done that. He's smart enough not to insult voters. And I think you gotta have that kind of smarts to get elected. What I'm saying is, we, we need we need we need to recreate the job so somebody normal can run for it. Somehow or another, the people who are qualified run away from it as fast as the plague, for God's sake. Right? Well, until you dismantle Pfizer, the CIA, every regulatory agency in Washington, probably every cabinet-level 
you know, body too in the process. Um, and then you got to, you know, look at the military. <laughs> I mean, I'm, there is so much you would have to clean house with before I don't you th- I don't find think somebody you, who... I don't think you do it in eight years, much less four. And I don't see how you keep this I, well, I don't think you could do it in any kind of presidential term at all. Well, you're certainly not going to because gonna, it's, it's something far deeper than any electoral cycle or whatever. Well, you're not going to you're not, not going to whip a, a, a senator into shape if he just got elected when you do, and he's there for six and you're there for four. He's just going to wait he or she, right? You 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 could have some some success with somebody a senator who's having the midterm, and you could have some success with representatives if you had enough of a following to where every rep all of a sudden figured out that if I don't if I don't you know, at least be, be somewhat nice to Jan Flanagan. That that all of a sudden somebody's going to pop up in, in my district running against me that with with money running against me that is a a backward Jan Flanagan. If that's not your threat, you're going nowhere. Well, I think th- I think the problem starts with representatives, Tom, because they are running for office as soon as they get elected every two years, and in the process of selling their souls or whatever else they're selling to get reelected the next time. They've made themselves an easy. Well, next time, uh, when next, it, next time we got a dash. Let's talk a little bit about that because I, I, I've, I've talked about the, some of my other guests and never with you. Where it seems to me that a lot of really good people get elected as, as a rep, uh, and after two or three times, the good people seem like they want out, and the people who decide they're going to go in for the for the money game stay. I'm not accusing everybody of that, but it seems there's like a six year. Here's the real river. I'm either going to cross this river and be part of the quote the group. Or I'm going to get my fanny out of here, and I think a lot of good people get their fanny out of there. I uh, I went to uh, one of the Jewish. I was a guest, APEC, the American Israeli uh, Political Action Committee, and then one of the guys giving the speech down there, and he said, you know, if you listen to the news, if you listen to normal American, they say nobody ever leaves Congress. He goes, they're full of crap, because we've, we've had more turnover in the last ten years than we ever have, because we send anybody who gets elected, we'll send Israel. And show them just what we've been talking about. This is our, by the way, there's the enemy right there, and you can see him. We don't have that much room, and we can't defend ourselves like it. And all those people come back and say, "I can't believe how small the place is, and all these people surrounding them." Uh, you know, at least they get that impression. But he goes, "We've had, we've had." Uh, he said there were two, one or two spots in Illinois where the last five elections they've saved, they've turned people. He said we had to spend, we've had to send five people just from that one district in the last ten years. He goes, "Don't think there's no turnover. There's huge turnover." Not, not not maybe up top where you you might want some because but on the bottom there's people leaving all the time which is I think kind of a problem Jen. Well, and then you get the people running for senate seats and, and governorships who have done you know the, the most whoring out of themselves to get there. Oh yeah. So, you know. Well, we're not going to solve this today. By the way, am I ever going to see you? Oh sure. God. <laughs> um, what are, what are our chances? One of my clients is going to the game uh, Saturday night, and he went out and bought a. A high-end new raincoat just for the event. They're supposed to be pouring Saturday night or something. I don't even own a raincoat. Uh, <laughs> to tell you how bad... I like the ones we used to call raincoats. Anyway. What, what do you think this guy did? He, he buys the raincoat. He's, he's a good guy. He, Notre Dame. Uh, he, he played... I know he's a rugby player. I, he might have played some football. I'm not sure. But good dude. He, he, to test the thing, he, he walks in the shower with it. And he goes, yeah, it works. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I, don't, I would never have thought to test it. I'd get somewhere and say, this thing doesn't work because it's leaking into me. Anyway, uh, we got that going this week. And SP Futures up four, NASDAQ Futures up eight. We were up more until the CPI came out again. CPI was 0.4 versus 0.3. So it's put a little bit of a pallor on the market as, as it is PPI yesterday, but not much. We're still up. John, thank you. Talk to you on Monday. 
Have uh, a good back one. tomorrow, Stacks and Jacks. Good luck with your layoffs, all right? I hope your firings go really well. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708 349 3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.